What is up, Ditch the Job listeners, Mark Bird, the podcasting coach here, helping people to launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts. And a lot of people are really thinking about ditching their job. I mean, this podcast has been doing pretty well so far. I've heard engagement from people based on, you know, like, I really want to get out of my job and certain episodes have been really helpful. But one of the things I want you guys to think about is why are you ditching your job? Like, what is the end goal? Like, you don't, one of the big mistakes people make is having an end goal that only benefits themselves, where they make money, they live on their own schedule and things like that. And while that stuff is really nice, you realize when you're deep into it and you have a self-conscious moment that, oh, I should be doing something more. And that something more is impacting people with the new career path that you choose. So our guest has been solely focused on impacting others. Uh, we'll get more into that, but just this idea of being able to impact people and think about who it is you want to impact on a large scale, not the entire world on a large scale, just a certain group of people on a large scale can really get you clear on who you want to serve, but also give you a lot of extra motivation to put in the work to ditch your job. So our guest who joins us in this episode is on a mission to continue creating schools where the kindergarten love of learning continues through grade 12. He's also an author, speaker, and recognized authority in improving educational outcomes. And he proves that implementing a growth mindset and celebrating progress are the keys to helping students learn more and retain their enthusiasm for school. Our guest who joins us for this episode of Ditch the Job is none other than Dr. Lee Jenkins. Lee, it is a pleasure to have you on Ditch the Job. Thank you, Mark. It is a, it's a, it's a treat to be here. And uh, I love your attitude, your mission, uh, what you're after, how you want to help other people accomplish their mission. And uh, so you, you um, exemplify what you've been talking about and what you desire for others. So thank you. It's good to be here. Lee, it is certainly a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, we first met at the National Publicity Summit, so I really got to hear Lee's story. And I mean, just the idea of if you see, like, if you see something and you don't like it, it's one thing to like just complain about. There's another thing to like just actively try to solve the problem. And I'm wondering, Lee, first, if you could just share with us some of your background, why it's in, education is important to you, and why you believe a uh, different approach to improving educational outcomes. Hey, well, first of all, I'll say I've been in thousands of classrooms. And one thing I know for sure, if hard work would give us the education system we want, then you and I wouldn't need to talk, and I wouldn't need to write books, because I see it's teachers and administrators working extremely hard in a system which is designed to not work like we want it to work. When I say system, I'm talking about the, the public schools, the charter schools, and, and the private schools, because they're all much more alike than they are different. So that's, so, so I know that hard work by itself won't make it. So then what do we do? And I would say the biggest problem in education is poor psychology. And that sounds like a funny thing to say, uh, poor psychology, but it is. 
our psychology is that we need to motivate the kids to learn. And that therein lies the bad idea. They, the kids come to us in kindergarten already motivated to learn. They have all the motivation they need for life. So our job as educators is not to motivate them, it's to figure out how to maintain the enthusiasm they brought with them. And we lose a few every year until we get to the end of high school and under 10% are excited to come to school to learn. Now, about 40% of the kids in high school love coming to high school, but it's for sports or the band or the theater or friends. But for that purpose of the learning, we're under 10%. We, we have a long ways to go with that poor psychology. It's causing us big trouble. Yeah, I mean, just right there, you can see this is a message that means a lot to Lee. He's done a lot of work in this area. And that's the kind of thing you should think about doing. Like when you get out of your job, uh, like what kind of impact can you have on people? And I feel like Lee's points, I mean, uh, at the recording of this interview, I'm still a college student. When you're listening to this, I won't be anymore. But uh, a lot of those points really hit home. I see it in myself. I see it uh, in different spots. But uh, just this idea of, um, you know, when it comes to the psychology, it's a really important factor that I may be getting overlooked. So um, I'm wondering, though, on the impact side, though, because um, I'm wondering how you – uh, chose to focus on this type of impact and for people who are thinking about ditching their jobs, how can they figure out what kind of impact they're supposed to make? Okay. Well, people th think that um, ditching your job means that then you just get to go play golf or something fun forever. And that's not reality. Uh, why would you want to ditch your job? It's basically because you believe you can have the impact on more people on your own than you can working for somebody else. That's it. And so that's been my story. I, uh, if I was still uh, working in a school district, I would have some impact on people, but it would be limited geographically to one small area. And now it's across the country and beyond. In fact, uh, my, uh, I teach online courses, and there's uh, students almost every semester from over 25 different countries. Now, that's, that's beyond what I imagined would ever happen. I didn't think about that, per se, uh, but it's true. So, and, and actually see the problems are pretty much the same around the world. It's not that, um, that we've got individual problems here in the United States that are different from other places. For example, one of the things that caused kids to dislike school is they realize early on, this is really not important. It's just, it's just a matter of getting a grade and then you forget. Cram, get a grade, forget. Cram, get a grade, forget. And a whole lot of kids don't want to play that game. And even the ones that do play that game, they, they think it's dumb. In fact, I've talked to some of them and said, how do you feel when you cram all night, you get your A, and two days later, you've forgotten it all. How do you feel? They say, feel dumb. Because they don't remember anything. So it's, um, so there's lots of reasons why kids are losing this enthusiasm. 
And, and that, that problem of cram, get a grade, forget is worldwide. And then there's the teacher frustration because the kids aren't remembering. And so they're spending a third to half of their time reteaching things kids should already know. Um, so if you want kids to love school, you have to change it in, from a forgetting system into a remembering system. That's one of the basics. So we can do it. And I mean, it's really interesting how Lee mentions one of the, like uh, when, if you're retiring, like people, I mean, the people, like if you have a job and you've been at it for a while, you are thinking of retirement and you know, a common narrative is like you kick back, you relax, you vacation, you golf, you do all these different things that are not work and it's all play. But if you only do that, you're going to lose a sense of purpose and it's going to be fun maybe for a week or two or maybe even a few weeks, but it's not something that like you need to have some kind of purpose work, some belonging that uh, really fuels you. And uh, it's being able to find that spot in a retirement phase. And even when you're not retiring, being able to use this idea of impacting people to propel you to get out of the job earlier, because if you think about just getting out of the job for yourself, that's one thing. If you think about getting the job out of the job to spend more time with your family, that's an upgrade. But then get out of the job to spend more time with your family and help people who, uh, like, what, so what, what some people do is they'll take a portion of their earnings and they'll give it to a charity, or maybe they'll partner with a charity with their business, and that could be someone's big vision. So there's a lot of different ways you can create impact, and that's going to be another upgrade to uh, motivate you to put in the work to get out of your job. One thing that I do want to tap on, though, is that Lee mentions this psychology, and I relate to it a lot. Like I've taken a ton of finance classes. I finished a psychology class recently, and a lot of the actions are driven by psychology. Like the numbers are there and stuff like that, models and stuff like that, but psychology is a really big driver, and this stuff was uh, really figured out like relatively recently compared to the numbers and stuff. Um, so... I'm wondering if you can share with us based on your results, based on what you've seen and stuff like that, how do we, uh, from a school standpoint and from a, any other goal standpoint, how do we go from uh, maybe just like passively being in it to really being active in it, really taking the initiative, like teaching ourselves the material and making sure we remember it and things like that? Okay. Um, the, the, let's talk about the data. Cause you mentioned that it's the data and psychology are like twins. They go together. So the, the, the bell curve, we all know that as, uh, something that's harmful for data because then what you draw a line down the middle and you got half winners and half losers. Right. And so we're looking at, well, what do we do with data to improve the self-concept and psychology. And what we do is we only measure kids against each, against their former self, not against others. And we call that all-time best. So when st students do better than they've ever done before, it's an all-time best. And it's at all ages. It's like knowing I did better than I've ever done before. So there's one thing that they, their individual feeling of I improved. 
Then there's another aspect about this that we all we know from athletics that people like contributing to the team. So in the classrooms, we add up the total for the whole class. They understand right away they're a team. I got an email last week from a teacher of four-year-olds and they're learning letters. And the way this works is each week, the teacher calls the four-year-olds up one at a time and out of the 26 capital letters, pulls out five at random and asks the kids to read the ones they can read. And so some kids read all five, some kids read none yet, some two, some three, whatever it is, but we add it up and get the total for the whole room. Okay. So they look forward to an all-time best for the class. So a new kid moved into the school and one of the four-year-olds said to another four-year-old, um, do you know your letters? And the new kid said, yes. So you're going to really help our class. Isn't that interesting? Four years old. They get it that we're a team and we're going to, we add up the total. And then they showed me a video of, because the whole class did better and they're going down the hallway, all the four-year-olds shouting out, all-time best, all-time best, all-time best. We did better than we've ever done before. So it's two things. It's, it's me personally doing better and then it's me contributing to the team. And it's both parts. And when you have that, then there's, you don't need all those bribes to get kids to do better because they're part of the team. They want to do better. You don't have to bribe them to do it. You, you, you don't have to punish them to get to do it. Uh, and, they, and of course, they know that the only the team total to go up is they have to remember. Okay, So it's, it's not like you're saying, you kids, you point your finger and say, you got to remember. No, they want to remember because they want to help the team and they want to do better themselves. The statistics, it's, it's called effect sizes, but we get six times the learning from an average classroom with what I'm sharing. And when I say to the teachers, why are you getting such amazing numbers from your, at the end of the year? And I get the same answer every time. It's because the kids actually remember in May what I taught them in September. And they're shocked. They never had that happen before. Uh, they want to learn. Um, we can we can set it up so that um, the classroom flips. Instead of the teacher pressuring the kids to learn more, the kids are pressuring the teacher to teach more. Wow. Have you been in classrooms where the kids are pressuring the teacher to Never. teach more? Never. No. 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 And we get it all the time. I see it. When, places where I've worked, uh, I, I was in a classroom last month a school, four different schools in the school district, a day in each one. And, and it's, it's November and it's starting to happen now. They're starting to pressure the teacher to teach more. This takes a while for them to get that, figure that out. And they have to see lots of success of the class graph going up and up and up and up. They have to see that. And they're seeing it now and they're saying, well, if you teach us more, it could go up further. Wow, I mean, that's very powerful. I feel like anyone listening to that can definitely appreciate what's happening there. Um, I do want to, uh, in this question, like not just apply to a higher grade level, which I will be doing, but also like in the, uh, the example you gave, like it's a very fun uh, concept and it gets everyone to engage with each other. Uh, but it's like, 
one of the things like when people get higher up, like I'll t- talk about the SAT, for instance, like I see how the concept can apply because you want to go for a new class high or something like that. The only thing is everyone's also thinking like, how can I get as close to 2,400 as possible? So I think what, where I'm going with this is how can we stay true to uh, like the whole culture that you're suggesting, which I do love, uh, but in scenarios where it's like, you know, 2,400 for an SAT, not comparing ourselves to that number and feeling bad that we're not there or not close enough to it versus let's just look at us setting these all times and building up each day. Yes. Um, I mean, obviously there's the college interest exams and obviously people want to do well. Okay. So just this, this last summer, this is not the SAT, but I talked to a young woman who just passed the exam in Arizona to become a nurse. So she did a lot of studying, much like people do for the SAT, but this was to pass the exam to be a nurse. So I, I said to her, um, now when you were studying all of these things in order to become a nurse, was there anything new that you were studying? Or was it just remembering things you'd already learned in other classes? She said there was nothing new. It was all just review of things that I'd already been taught in other classrooms. So, so school is starting with first grade spelling. In about a month, students learn how to cram, get a grade, and forget the spelling words. And then they go to middle school and high school, and then they learn how to cram for the chapter test. Then they go to college, and then there, and then um, then there's a big cram when you need to pass some other exam in order to get a certificate, a credential, a license. If we could just remember it, if we had a system where you remembered it all the way through, we wouldn't need that. Mm. Uh, Teachers in in elementary school, they will spend the major part of six weeks reviewing for the state test. And I asked one of the teachers I've been working with for about 10 years, said, how long, uh, Cody, how long did you spend getting ready for the state exam. She said, well, I don't know, five minutes maybe. So why, why did she save all that time? What, what, she taught new stuff instead of reviewing. Why? Because they actually remembered. She knew they remembered everything she taught all year. So you don't need to spend time reviewing if you have a reviewing system. Hmm. But if you have a cram forget system, guess what? Um, I was in uh, Barnes and Noble a while back, and I counted the shelves of books. There's a, um, and there was one set of shelves on teaching and learning. There were eight sets of shelves on getting ready for the SAT and ACT exam. So what does that say about our culture? Barnes and Noble knows that there's eight times more interest in getting a good score on SAT and reviewing and one more time than there is and how to just help learn it in the beginning. Um, so, it, you know, I mentioned a couple of kindergarten examples or pre-K, but it's actually true at every grade level. If I can, if it's okay if I tell you a story from high school seniors. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I was with, I was, it was a high school Spanish class. And I said, and these kids have been using the process I teach, the graphing and and remembering. So they knew how it worked. And I said, okay, kids, 
tomorrow morning, we're going to film video in a first grade class. And now this is, we're going to, we're going to film spelling. Now in this class, they do not get spelling words on Monday and then a test on Friday. What they get are all the words for the whole year, the first week of school. It's 150 of them. And every week the teacher reaches into a bucket at random and pulls out 12 of them. And that's their test. Now it's not graded, but they graph how well they did. Because what you want is at the end of the year, the teacher could pull out any 12 and every, every kid in the room could spell them all without study. That's what you want. Okay. So I said, okay, adults think this is really cruel. These little first graders just finished kindergarten and nobody tells them what the spelling words are ahead of time. The teacher just walks around with a bucket full of spelling words underneath their arm and she pulls them out one at a time and that's their spelling test. They think that's cruel. So what do you high school kids think? They said, oh, that's go for it. It's the best thing you can do. They said, I'll tell you what's cruel. What's cruel is they taught us that cram, get a grade, forget system in, in elementary school. And then we got to high school and all of a sudden we're supposed to learn because they were all using the system I've been teaching in the high school. She so said, that's what's cruel. You have, to, you have to learn that you're supposed to learn. <laughs> we didn't know that coming into high school. That's cruel. Yeah. So it's at all ages, they understand what's happening. Um, and, that, and they actually want to remember. They actually want to learn. But the kids aren't in charge of the system, so they either play the game or they ignore it. Wow. I mean, this is some really powerful stuff. Um, I feel like there are a lot of people who do have a really powerful message to share. They definitely want to impact people, but uh, not like getting that message out is something that a lot of people want to do. I know it's something Lee has been able to do. So can you share with us how you've been able to get this message out? Because I feel like people who have stuck with us this far, thank you for listening to this episode, by the way. Um, if you've stuck with us this far, I feel like there's a lot of points Lee is saying that hits us. And I know I'm kind of coming up hard for words because like I'm literally on that graduation phase. So like, it's not like someone listening to Lee, like 20 years, 30 years removed from school. It's like, I'm still in the process. So I definitely see what Lee is saying. So I wonder if you could share with us how you've been able to like spread this message uh, be able to expand the impact, some of the best resources, tools you've been using to get it all out there? Well, it's normal. There's the reading, there's the, excuse me, there's the writing and there's the speaking. Okay. So let's talk about writing. Um, my most recent book is called How to Create a Perfect School. It's available from Amazon, came out in June. Interestingly, there are five chapters in the book written for parents. So while the 80% the, uh, of it is written to educators, 20% is written for parents. And the message for parents is, don't let anybody destroy that love of learning that, that, that you sent kids to kindergarten. You sent your son and daughter to kindergarten, loving learning, don't let anybody else destroy it. That's, and then how to do that. There's, that's the message to parents, but it's through writing. And then there's articles. If somebody were to write me an article that's interested in improving school systems, um, I can send them an article I just wrote that's, that's kind of the basic from a structural system perspective is lee at lbellj.com. And 
yllbellj.com is because we want the, the, the graph to move from an L-shaped graph to a bell curve in the middle of the year to a graph that looks more like a J at the end of the year. So that's why. Uh, but L, Lee at lbellj.com, and I can send you articles. If you go to the website, which is lbellj.com, there is a video from a seventh grade class, seventh grade history class. You see what it looks like. It's a, a filmed here in Phoenix, Arizona. There is an interview by Jack Canfield. People know that name, many people, most, many people know that name, Jack Canfield, because of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series that made him famous. Um, but before he did that, he was a teacher. So he really, really resonated with the, the principles and how to create a perfect school. So he interviewed me. It's the videotape is on the website at lbellj.com. It's about a 13 minute interview with Jack Canfield. Uh, and he interjected a lot of his own thoughts because of his experience, both as a student, and as a teacher, he, he, he resonated with it. So, um, so it's through, it's through speaking, uh, my work, I, I, I will speak to teachers alone. I will speak to administrators alone, but ideally I've got them both together because neither group can solve. It takes both working together in order to, turn a system into a learning system and we can do it. Ooh. I've, um, you know, talked about spreading, uh, we've spoken in India, uh, spoken in Guatemala, Chile, uh, Saskatchewan. Uh, so it's not only the United States, most states in the United States, not all, but uh, it's so sort of speaking and writing. That's how you get the word out and you're helping with the podcast. So it's a good thing, Mark. You never know what's going to happen because of what you're doing today. You don't. You have no way of knowing. Speaking of writing, I feel like that really boils down to a lot of it, and then just the relationships you're able to build because people see you speaking, people see your written content, and being able to build and nurture relationships. I mean, that's how you're going to grow. And if you guys want to follow Lee, Lee mentioned a few different places you can find him. Those links will be in the show notes for anyone who wants to follow Lee on his journey because I feel like this stuff is first time I'm ever hearing it from a guy like Lee or just anyone. And I relate to it a lot, but uh, Lee, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on ditch the job. It was such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Mark. And I appreciate it was fun to meet you. It's fun to talk with you. I'm glad that all the technology is working. <laughs> That's a treat. And uh, I hope we get to talk again sometime, Mark. Thank you. <laughs>